Another edition of the Behind the U podcast. We're going to go behind the U with quarterback Brock Berlin. Pit stops along the way. Brock, thank you for joining us and taking some time to talk about your journey and your path. Thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you here, Josh. Have a little bit of fun. Well, we're going to start off with a little bit of fun. Canes fans, they always say they bleed orange and green. You had a little orange and blue in you, and you finished with the orange and green. So if I cut you to the core, you bleed orange and green or orange and blue? It's orange and green all the way, baby. That's what we like to hear. That's what we like. We can, you cannot, I mean, that, that one cuts to the core, not only the orange and green, but if it was, you know, when it's the Gator, you know how that goes. Well, I think after our two games against the Gators, I think it's, it's proven that uh, it's orange and green all the way, and uh, that's, that's way over. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We're going to get into this, but you, ha- you, have might, you might have the ultimate bragging rights of any UM quarterback. Your record in state against Florida State, and Florida, a clean 5-0. and oh. I mean, you've got ultimate bragging rights. No one can ever say anything to you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling to know that my whole time at the University of Miami went 5-0, and 3-0 oh, and oh versus Florida State, 2-0 and oh versus Florida. And uh, just to, to be able to say that um, as a team accomplishment, that was, that was pretty special. No doubt. And we're going to talk about all of that, I promise. But I always like, you know, I'm really into everyone's, their journey, right? Growing up as a kid, were, were you always a football obsessed person? Like, was, was that always your sport? You know, I, I love football all, all growing up, but I was a baseball guy to start off. Baseball was my first love, played it, you know, all the way up until high school. But probably around middle school is when I, is when I really started to get obsessed with football and started to feel like oh, I really do enjoy playing this game. And so baseball was my first love, but as time grew on, football became my passion. I imagine, were you a pitcher? Usually quarterbacks are pitchers or center fielders or something. Where'd you play? Shortstop, something, so one of those three. I was a third base and ah. pitcher. Yep, third well, base. Uh, third and base, all right. We, get, we got to have a good arm to throw it across the horn, right? Uh, that's right, that's right. So when you start playing football, were you, were you immediately a quarterback? Did you gravitate to that position? I didn't start there, you know, started kind of playing everywhere, you know, as a kid, I probably played every position except the line because I wasn't a big kid, kind of tall and skinny, but I played kind of all over the place, played some corner, played some linebacker, played some wide receiver. But as time grew on and as football became a little bit more organized, I guess you would say, I started to gravitate towards the quarterback position. I always got kind of blessed me with a, with a good arm. And so our school at the time, was was kind of the beginning stages of the you know spread offense and so our high school was running and it kind of trickled down to the middle school team and so we kind of it was kind of you run what the high school runs and so we started throwing it around and, and that's when that's when I really started loving playing football is when I, I got the chance to play quarterback your coach said like in sixth grade they kind of knew you were good and by eighth grade they absolutely knew when that you were good when did you know you were good uh, you know, I don't know if it's knowing that you're good. I think you kind of know you have a talent and that you, you know, that was, like I said, you could spin the football around. But I think when it got into about, you know, eighth grade, I started to feel like, you know, hey, this is something that I could pursue and, and get really good at. And so about eighth grade is when I really started getting serious about playing quarterback. Just reading, it said your coach was like, you were always working, always training, always in the weight room, always on the field. Like, were you kind of obsessed with being good? Yeah. I guess you kind of call me a gym rat, you know, one of those type of kids. You know, my dad was a coach, too. And when I was younger, I was always around the high school team. You know, it was kind of one of those things. Just you love the game of football and you love to be around it, whether it's lifting weights or running or, or throwing or, or, you know, whatever it may be. 
at a young age, you know, God gave me this passion to compete and play. And, and so it was always in me to, to just get out there and want to be the best. You know, it was always, I was always in my mind trying to figure out a way to be the best. Not to uh, tax your uh, humility here, Brock, but I, I couldn't write out, I couldn't write down all the records and, and all the touchdowns and all the yards. So at some point along the way, Brock Berlin turns into a highly desirable recruit. When, when were you kind of aware of, oh, I'm sort of this guy? You know, it's kind of one of those things my dad taught me at an early age, you know, about, you know, being humble and keep your head down and work hard and everything else will take care of itself. And so I never really was one to, to get too high on all the accolades and things. I had, you know, obviously I had goals to break all the records that were out there to shatter them. But I, I think after my sophomore season, we went and had a, had a great year, threw for a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, won a state championship. And that's kind of when I was like, man, this, you know, got a chance to, to have something special here. And when I say something special, I mean with our team too. And so we had a goal to go undefeated our, our high school career. And we started that off our sophomore year and we're able to see that through, through our senior year. And so it was just a lot of fun. We uh, had a great team, a great group of teammates and coaches, and we had a great ride in high school. So I know football is big in South Florida, but I know football is also big in Louisiana. Can you tell me how big it is where you grew up? It's big. I mean, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it, I think anywhere in the South, football's huge. It's just a way of life. And when it's football season, it's, it's go time. There's nothing like Friday night lights when they click on and, and it's go time. And, and we live for those, those Friday nights. And so obviously uh, being down there, my time in Miami and, and watching some high school football games, I know it's huge down there, but to me, it's, it's here in Louisiana, it's just as big and it's, it's a way of life. So who were like the big time studs that were that were playing in your area when, when you were growing up or who were maybe guys when you were younger you were looking up to? Because, I mean, I know there's plenty of big time dudes that have come out of Louisiana. Yeah. So, you know, really at my school, the quarterbacks that came before me were the guys that I looked up to. One was Josh Booty. I don't know if you remember that name. Yes, sir, because he played for the Marlins. So it was Josh and then a guy by the name of Philip Dees who went on to play at the University of North Carolina. And then I came behind Philip. And, and so those guys were, were guys that I, that I looked up to, being that they were the, the quarterbacks before me at Evangel. You know, obviously we had Peyton Manning that, that was the same time as Josh. We had a lot of great players that, were, that, that, that came out of Louisiana. We had some great players that came from Louisiana and went to the U. You know, we had Ed Reed and Reggie Wayne and, and, and those guys. And so, you know, Louisiana has put out a lot of good, good football players. But for me as a kid looking up to, to players, it was those quarterbacks that, that came before me at our school that I got to watch every day and, and try to be like. So, Josh Booty, I read that you literally said that you wanted to be just like him. Everything he did, the way he walked, talked, played, practiced. Yeah, I mean, I was a kid, you know. I mean, I was a young kid. And I got to watch him win our first state championship at, uh, at Evangel. I think I was maybe seventh grade, maybe what it was. So, you know, I watched him win our first state championship. He shattered all the passing records. And, and, and he was a two-sport guy. He was a baseball and a football guy. And, and obviously, he went baseball at first and signed with the Marlins. And so watching him it was kind of one of those things you know I wanted to be like that you know I remember setting goals as a kid I want to shatter his records and so that was for somebody that I looked up to at, at, as a young age you know we had a guy just down the road a few hours that was pretty good too Peyton Manning uh, <laughs> <laughs> spinning it there pretty good so it was pretty neat to, to have those two guys at, at the same time you know that were you know we could we could watch play 
Brock, I do find it interesting at, at a relatively young age, you've talked very clearly that you had these very stated goals, team goals of going undefeated, shattering records. I mean, you're talking about shattering records of either Josh Booty or challenging someone like Peyton Manning. Where did that derive from? You know, it came from my parents. It was something that that I learned at a young age. It's one thing to go out and work, but if you're just going out there and you're working and you don't know what you're working for, then, you know, you're, you're not going to accomplish a lot. You're just kind of spinning your wheels. And so I learned to write down my goals at a young age and I put it on paper. And there's actually, there was actually a study that was done years ago that showed that only about 2% of Americans that write down their goals and the ones that did went on to do really big things in life. So I kind of took that on, still do it to this day and teach my kids. You got something you want, write it down and uh, shoot as far as you can, you know, and, and you may not get it, but you can sure as heck try. Well, you shattered a lot of goals, my man. <laughs> shattered a lot of records. I mean, as you're, as you're going along your career, are you enjoying it and having fun at high school, throwing all those touchdowns, winning all those games, or are you kind of very aware of like, hey, man, I'm, I'm X number of touchdowns away from breaking a record or throwing this many yards? Man, believe it or not, I really didn't even think about the, you know, obviously I knew if I had a four-touchdown game or, it's a five, you know, whatever. You kind of, you know what's going on. But to me, it was more about the, the ultimate goal, and that was to win a state championship every year. We wanted to be ranked, you know, nationally number one. We, there was a big ultimate goal out there. And so for me, as a quarterback of the team, I feel like, you know, as, as one of the leaders on the team, it's, you know, continuing to fight every day for that, that ultimate goal. And so if you go and you do those things, all those individual goals will take care of themselves. And so I was just having fun, man. I mean, we had a great group of guys that we grew up together since seventh, eighth grade, and we went on and graduated together. It was a special group of young men that believed in each other. And I mean, when we stepped on that field, it was a confidence that we just had from a young age playing together, knowing that, hey, it's, we're about to step on this field. And it's not about, are we about to win? It's about how bad are we about to win? And that, and that was our, that, that was, the, that's the way we thought, you know? And, and so um, it wasn't an arrogant or cocky way of thinking. It was just, that's the way we grew up thinking and you know, there was about 20 of us that were together, and man, it was it was a lot of fun. You also played in a right. You played. You'd mentioned before playing in that spread offense, and we had Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator, on here. He was one of the first we did, and we he grew up under Gus Malzahn and kind of how football was changing in Texas and Arkansas when he was playing high school ball. Right around, I, I think, right around the same time as you, maybe a few years after you. So, were you aware of sort of what was happening as well? Because obviously nowadays, you know, spread football, throwing it around, that's just everywhere, right? But back 20 something years ago that really wasn't the case you're you're exactly right as a kid you don't really realize what all's going on now i remember going and playing teams and they're running the wishbone and the veer and the eye you know it's boring football right and then here we come out and we're five wides and we're slinging it all over the place these teams didn't know what to do you know and and we really didn't have that much speed outside on our receivers but our guys knew how to run routes and these defenders didn't know what to do. They never seen anything like it. They're used to seeing run up the middle, run up the middle, sweep, you know. And, and then here we come out there. And I remember playing Dallas Carter. I don't know how familiar you are with them, but it was my sophomore year. And they had about 18 to 19 Division One commits that year. And they walked off the bus. And, I mean, it looked like David and Goliath. Here we are, little Vangel. They're coming over to play us. And I'm going, man, we're, we're about to play these guys. These guys look like monsters. Before you know it, first quarter ends, and it's 28 nothing. And we're, we, we're throwing it all over the place. These guys are yelling at each other. They don't know what to do. 
And so just a, a prime example of where we were so far ahead of the game with the spread than what anybody's ever seen. And so that's how we were able to really have an advantage uh, is that we were, we, were, we were ahead of the game, you know, back then. So people can have some context. Can you just run through maybe what you thought your best season was there at Evangel? Honestly, my sophomore season was probably my season that I, that I cherished the most. That being my, my older brother was a wide receiver, and he was a senior when I was a sophomore. So we got to play together that year. That was the only year that we got to play together. I think he caught about 15 touchdowns, and, you know, he was my guy, you know, my go-to guy, third down, you know. Uh, and, and we had so much fun being able to play together. I mean, that was a season that I'll remember forever. But I probably that year threw for 50-something touchdowns, you know, 4,500 yards, something like that. So we were throwing it all over the place. And, and we were, like I said, we were undefeated. And, uh, and that's why I, I say the sophomore year is because I got to have a really special year with my older brother. I imagine at the dinner table, you, your brother, you said your dad was a coach. I imagine there was a lot of football being discussed. <laughs> there was there was a lot of football being uh discussed there was a lot of you know we're watching film and big brothers getting mad at little brother for not throwing to him and they always uh, right there was receivers always open right that's that's right, that's right. receivers always open that's right that's and, and, right and why didn't you throw either why didn't you throw it or why didn't you throw it in the right place that's right yeah and why'd you get me blown up there by the free safety <laughs> you know I do that with my kids. They're eight and 10. You know, tossing the ball around like, dad, I couldn't catch it. Dad, I'm like, let me, has Tom Brady ever gone 42 for 42? No. So like, come on, cut me some slack. That's right. <laughs> my 48 year old dad, come on. my 48 year old dad throwing the ball in the park. It's not going to be perfect every time. Look, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, my son is nine. I've got two daughters um, and a son. My son's nine. And uh, same thing. He's, you know, it's, 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 come on, dad. Yeah. Like, come I was on. open. Throw me the ball. Yeah. All right, dude. All right. He was open too. And you know, I'm doing my best here. All right. Come on. <laughs> you never lost the game in high school. So here's my question. Was there ever a close call? Oh yeah. There was definitely some close calls. Uh, one that sticks out in my head is our, our state championship game. My senior year, um, we played West Monroe. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it was West Monroe was one of those teams that, for years and years had won multiple, multiple, you know, state championships all the way up to my junior year. We were, we were class three a. And so our senior year, we had, had a lot of people saying, Hey, we'd, we'd like to see Evangel move up to five a and see if they can compete at the highest level. And so our senior year, we moved up to five a, which was awesome. We, we welcomed that. We're excited about it. And so we, we went through that season undefeated and that was like the, the ultimate game talk up game of the century in Louisiana, you know, Evangel versus West Monroe and, and, and Superdome. And I think we had about 55,000 people there and we were actually down. Wait, say that again. Did you say 55,000? Yeah. Yeah. Holy a lot of folks, a wow. lot of people there. We were down in that game by, by touchdown going into the fourth quarter and we came back and won it 20 to 14. It was a, it was a battle that we, that we had to fight through. But that was the that was the moment, you know. We walked into that game, and our senior group of of players, you know, were fifty nine and zero at that time. We had gone fifty nine and zero, and our goal that we sat down and, and talked with our coach about was to be sixty and zero. That was our goal, and it was right there in front of us. And and you know, we go we head into the fourth quarter, and we're down by a touchdown. We come back and, and we win, and uh, it was a neat experience everyone would have known all this they would never would have been worried when you guys played florida in the orange bowl your, your, your second game being down 28 points all these comebacks it was just 
part of who you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> or Louisville the following year. I mean, you know, this is nothing for you, man. You were doing this your whole life. Yeah, that, that added a whole lot of years to my life. This gray beard, that adds some years. Brock, you, you mentioned just how big high school football is in Louisiana. You 55,000 fans at a game. That I don't think that's ever really happened too many times down here in, in our neck of the woods. So you're kind of living in that fishbowl already before you get to Florida, before you get to Miami, before you get to the pros. I think you have a sense of playing big time college football, but being in Louisiana and not going to LSU, was that ever an issue? Like, was, was there a pressure there to stay home? Sure, you feel the pressure from your friends and the people around and people encouraging you, hey, we want you to be a Tiger and the whole thing. But they were just – they were not very good at the time. The offense they were running, it was just – it just wasn't what I wanted to be a part of. And so I made the decision that, that I wasn't going to be an LSU Tiger, and, and it is what it is. I imagine growing up in a smaller town, in a state that adores that school, being a prominent recruit, whether it was going to LSU or going to Florida or wherever you were considering, I imagine, I'm sure everyone wanted to know, where was Brock Berlin going to school? How much, did it ever become too much? You know, some days, you know, it was kind of, yeah, you get tired of hearing it. You just want to be a high school kid, enjoy your senior year and enjoy high school and be a kid, you know? And so it could, you know, I think my parents did a really good job of kind of helping me be able to be that high school kid. And and that's why I kind of made a decision early when, where I was going to school to kind of get it oh, out. I wanted to ask you that. When did you decide? You know, I pretty much knew I was going to the University of Florida, you know, before my senior year. I, I didn't announce it. Honestly, I can't even remember when it was. It was during the season when I announced it. So I kind of wanted to to get that out of the way because, like I said before, my goal was to win a state championship and be be 60 and 0 in high school and you know it was the ultimate goal out there right and so I felt like all this other stuff recruiting trips and you know all the stuff that goes along with being recruited could uh, be a distraction and so I, I wanted to focus in on my senior year and, and win a state championship and have fun with boys. As you look back on it, do you ever wish it might orchestrate itself differently? Like I don't think people always understand what it's like for the prospect, for the kid. The amount of time, people, communication, contacts, coaches, et cetera, that kind of takes up a young kid's life. It, to me, sometimes it seems like it can be a little too much. Well, I can't even imagine now these days with all social media and everybody's tweeting and everybody's doing all this stuff. And I can't imagine being a part of it now because yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. You got to think these kids are trying to be high school kids, you know? And so, yes, I, I think that People don't realize the pressure that's on them. You know, I feel like, too, I was blessed to have parents that were there to help guide me through the process. You know, a lot of these kids, they don't have that, you know, and they don't have somebody to help them to walk them through, you know, and you got everybody pulling you every different direction to be a part of whatever it may be, whatever university it may be. And it's tough. They're kids. And uh, it's a tough deal. It's a very, very competitive, you know, thing that's out there that's real. And, you know, I, I look from the other side, too, at these coaches. I mean, it's tough on these coaches, you know, because they're dealing with these kids that are changing their mind every 15 seconds, you know. And these coaches, this, this is their lifestyle. This is what they do. I mean, this is how they provide for their families. And you got a kid that, you know, wants to put 15 hats on before he decides. You know, it's like, come on, man, make a decision. Let's go, you know. And so I see it from both sides. But it's really, it's, 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 it's crazy.
Now, I will say in fairness, even though this is a UM podcast and you ended up at UM and you bleed orange and green, mid-90s, spread offense, probably wasn't too hard to pick Steve Spurrier. You know, we talked about guys looking up to as a player. You know, Danny Werfel was one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, the fun and gun was a was a fun football system to watch. Yeah, that that's that's what lured me there. I mean, the offense and, and being a big fan of Werfel and, and, and what he was able to accomplish there with, with Coach Spurrier. What kind of genius is Spurrier offensively? He, he is, man. He's very, very smart. He was kind of that spread before the spread. So that's what, you know, his greatness was he was – I mean, he was he was picking guys apart, and they didn't really know how to stop it. Any regrets that Florida didn't work out? I mean, I know it, you know you ended up in a good spot at Miami. We're we're, we're, glad, we're glad you're a Kane, but any anything you might have done different there? Anything? No, man. I'll be honest with you. I don't I don't ever live with regrets. You know, I feel like God has a plan for everybody, and there's a reason for why we go through things. And I feel like the, the struggles that that I went through there made me a better person today. Uh, made me a better person at Miami. I have no regrets that I went to Florida, you know. Um, it was the decision that I made. It was the best place that I felt for me at the time. But at the end of the day, you know, my career worked out the way it did, and, and I'm very happy the way it ended. Being being a hurricane, it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. So let me ask you this. What went into that decision of, of Miami? Was there a connection to Miami? Who, who were you deciding between? Uh, I would imagine there were a lot of people, again, once again, that would have liked to have Brock Berliner as their quarterback uh, transferring in. Yeah, you know, and it was a tough decision. Just to, to start off with, I, I've considered myself a very loyal person that when I make a decision to do something, I'm sticking with it. And so, and I had great friends at the University of Florida, guys that are still best friends to the day. And, and so it was hard. It was hard to make that decision to move on. But at the end of the day, I had to do what was best for, for me to be able to play football. And that was what I wanted to do. But when I made the decision that it was time to go, you know, I was very, very familiar being in the state of Florida with Miami, obviously what they were doing, I mean, it was incredible, you know, the things that they were, they were, they were doing. And I had familiarity with, with a couple of coaches, with, with Coach Coker, number one, him and Coach Salinger both recruited me out of high school. So I knew them, I was familiar with them. And so it just seemed like a really good fit. You know, you had Ken Dorsey, who was going to go into his senior year. Obviously I had to sit out in red shirt. It gave me an opportunity to be able to come in and red shirt and compete for a position you know, that was going to be open once he left. And so the fit, you know, everything just kind of seemed to fit. And obviously I knew growing up as a college football fan, the tradition at, at Miami with quarterbacks, just the university itself. I couldn't be more excited that, that Miami gave me an opportunity to come down and play. Did you ever think Brock Berlin would be a scout team quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. I never thought that, but obviously I knew that was going to be my role. And I said, I'm going to be the best dang scout team quarterback out there uh, and try to make this defense better every week. Well, you better be good against the defense you were going up against. Golly, tell me about it. 2000, it's just, just frame this for everyone. 2002, the, the year ends in the Fiesta Bowl, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, I mean, Antrail Roll, John Vilma, DJ Williams, Vince Wolfer, Sean Taylor, and I'm sure I'm missing dudes. I mean, you, you weren't playing against a bunch of slappies, dude. You were the scout team quarterback against some dudes. They were studs. That was, I mean, and that's what I got to tell everybody every day. I get to go against the best defense in the country every single day. That made me so much better being a scout team quarterback that year. I can't even tell you what it did for me as, as a quarterback. Coming in from Florida, obviously a premier program, right? I mean, high-level SEC program, and you walk into the U. They're coming off 2001, winning the championship. 2002, you're the scout team quarterback. You're in a locker room with just dudes everywhere. 
what was your first observation of uh, the team, the players, the culture, et cetera, right? I mean, you, you, you were coming in from another big time program, walking into a big time program. Like what impressed you most about that locker room, that group of guys, that team? Really the thing that I noticed right off the bat very quickly is these guys love to compete. It was something that I noticed in the weight room and our training. It was every day, every minute, every second. I mean, it was, we were competing. And, you know, Andrew Swayze was a strength coach. And so obviously we came in and I came in at the time right after the bowl game. They had just won. And you'd think these guys would sit back and enjoy the Rose Bowl victory and whatnot. No, it was right back to work, getting after it. And it was so impressive to see. And that's, that's when you know, you know you're around a bunch of champions, guys that don't feel like, all right, we just want it all. Let's sit back and, and, and enjoy this. No, it was, it was already looking on to the next year and how can we get better? All right, so I kind of have this as a fun question, but you walk into the locker room, weight room, maybe the first day on the practice field, and not that you've never been around dudes, but there were some dudes in that locker room. Give me a guy that when you looked at the first time, you were like, hot dang, holy crap, that's a monster right there. I would say probably two. I would say Sean Taylor and Vince Wilfork were two guys that really stuck out quick. And boy, I tell you what, those are some great ones right there that obviously their careers speak for themselves. Those two stood out very quick, but I mean, I could, I could go down the list. I mean, it's, there were so many guys that were so impressive. So it was, it, it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun to walk in that locker room and see what I was about to become a part of. And were you welcomed? Like, how were you treated? You know, I was welcomed. I, I, I feel like my thought process was I'm going to have to prove myself to these guys. You know, I mean, I'm coming from a rival school and, you know, so my, my goal was, Hey, keep head down and, and work, get after it, work hard. And so they definitely welcomed me, but, you know, it, it, over time, I mean, it was, I'm part of the family, but I, but I did feel like I had to come in and prove myself, you know, and, and, and show these guys that I'm here to work and, and help this team in whatever way possible. So you got a year with Ken Dorsey, right? You're in the same quarterback room with him. What made him so successful? Why was he able to orchestrate and run that team? You know, Ken's preparation is really what took him to another level. And I learned so much from him and, and how he prepared each week. He knew our stuff inside and out. He knew the other defense inside and out. And he was always very, very prepared. And obviously, he was talented. He, all the different things that, that he had going for him. And his work ethic is, is the same. I mean, he would every single day, you know, he was prepared. He worked hard. And the guy was just a – he was a great leader as well. And I learned a lot from Ken. Every time he stepped on that field, I mean, he would same thing, compete, compete. I mean, I say the word. And that's one of the things at the University of Miami, you know, that I – Love to tell people. I mean, you're you're going to be around a lot of guys that they love to compete. And that was something that Ken did on a daily basis. That was a lot of fun to watch. Just being around the program at that time, one thing I had heard about Ken, and I've had the chance to talk to Ken about this, is that he's a nice guy. Obviously, he's tall, he's lanky. You know, he's not the most imposing guy, but there was an intensity to him. He was not afraid to put people in their place. Off the field, you know, he's laid back. California Ken, you know. Um, <laughs> You would never think that, but when he stepped on that field, he he demanded excellence from from his guys, and he got fired up and and would would get after them. But he was a great leader. Guys really respected him, and and they knew. I mean, like I said, he's prepared, knows his stuff, and it showed every Saturday they stepped on the field. As a redshirt scout team quarterback, a guy who has to sit out here. Were you at the Fiesta Bowl in two thousand three? Did you get to travel? Yeah, I sure did. That's a hard one to to relive. You know how painful that is for everyone, right? Like anytime that game comes on, it's this. Yeah, it's it's legitimate. I'm not a pretty emotional guy. Like I'm pretty good at managing my emotions. That one gets me angry. 
it was like slow motion, man. I'm seeing helmets flying, everybody's celebrating, and all of a sudden, you know, the flag, just you see a flag, you know, you're just like, you got to be kidding me. That was that was a tough one. What was that offseason like? It was a lot of fun, I'll be honest with you. For me, at that point, I knew, you know, now's the time that I'm going to have the opportunity to compete for the starting position. I was very, very hungry at that point. You know, I've waited now three years to become a starter. And in my mind, it was, let's go, you know, let's let's get it. And, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to, to compete and had a great competitor and Derek Crudup, who was a great quarterback as well. And, and we had a great competition. And, and when Coach Coker, you know, named me the starter, I was fired up, but ready to get going. You understood the role you were about to take on, right? I mean, taking over for Ken, coming off the loss, the run they had been on. I imagine you were aware. I, I mean, I know you were aware of that, but how aware of were you of that? Uh, yes, I, I was aware. I mean, Ken is a legend. Whenever you feel you know, somebody's shoes that has done, that had a career that Ken had. I mean, it's, you know, there's expectations that go along with that. And so for me, I tried not to put my focus on, hey, I'm filling in for this guy, this this Hall of Fame guy that's just leaving and won a national championship, should have won the next national championship, you know, and but my focus was more, all right, let's let's take it day by day, one step at a time, and let's get ready for this next season. What was the mood around the team? I mean, we talked about it now. Can't watch the game. Makes us mad. Makes us upset. I imagine in the moment as kids, it's got to be just as maddening, just as upsetting. What was driving you guys? I think, you know, obviously everybody felt, you know, it is where it is. We still don't agree with the call, right? Nobody does. You know, so so you feel robbed. You feel, you know, you should be sitting with two rings at this point. But at the same time, you don't see guys that are going to sit around and complain and sit back and say, we should have, you know, this should have happened now. It was let's let's move on to next season and let's let's get to work and uh and that's what that's what our guys did we, we got back right after it there's no better script for someone to start their career than you playing at home in louisiana against la tech and then coming home and playing the gator that's about as beautifully written as possible yeah that was crazy man to be honest with you that was one of those things i was like glad those two weeks were over with really um, <laughs> you know it's kind of like man you know you want to go back home and play your first, you know, your first start with Miami, you know, in, in my hometown and then first start in the orange bowl against my ex team, you know? So that was, uh, that was, that was something. I don't, I don't know how that happened. You said you had three years of buildup and then it's those two games. They didn't even start you off easy. <laughs> I know, man, it was, I, I, like I said, how that happened, I, I'll never know, but it ended up being pretty sweet. So obviously the Florida game, we know the comeback, it's been addressed, but when it starts off differently, right? I mean, Hester runs it back. You got to be thinking, oh, here we go, man. This is going to be a hell of a night. Yeah, man. Here comes Devin Hester, right? I mean, that was, that was his opening party guy. I can still, I can still see him running. And yes, the excitement was in the air. Here we go. We're about to get this thing going. And that first half was about as awful offensively <laughs> as it could get. Not first half, but probably two and a half quarters. So it did not start the way that, <laughs> that we wanted it to start. Are you ever thinking to yourself, oh, man, what did I get myself into? You know, it was one of those things that, you know, I knew, I knew what we were capable of. I knew what we'd been working on and, and our game plan. I trusted in our game plan. And, and I, I'll say it on my part, you know, made some mistakes and, and things just started to snowball the other way. We put the defense in an awful position. You know, they're on the field. They're getting tired. And next thing you know, you know, you're coming out of halftime and midway in the third quarter and it's 33-10. It's like, what in the world just happened? The Florida Gators, that's what they were saying by at the end. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. 
that's the way we wanted it then, right? You know, Brock, you have an interesting uh, career, right? You, you're 20 and five. We talked earlier, you beat Florida State three times. You beat Florida twice. You come in at a very unique time for the program. How do you sort of look back at your time at Miami? How do you assess what you accomplished, what was going on there, what has happened since? I mean, I think you have a pretty good perspective on on everything. My time at Miami was, was phenomenal. I mean, it was one of the favorite times of my life, being able to be a part of something so great. You know, University of Miami, being a part of, of that program, you just can't say enough about it. And I, we had our ups and downs while I was there, you know, because when you when the expectations are so high coming off the seasons that were before us, you know, we go 11 and 2 my junior year, and you would think that we just went, I don't know, 5 and 6. And that's okay, because that's what you want. You want, you want there to be high expectations. You know, if you go out there and, and people are happy being 500, then uh, you're probably not in the right place, you know. And uh, to be a part of the U, you got to be on top of your game. And so it was just tough that we could not get a national championship. I mean, that was our goal is to, to, to regain that and to get another national championship. And we, we had our shot. But to be able to play Florida State there in the Orange Bowl, the BCS Orange Bowl game, a junior year, and beat them and to finish it off playing the University of Florida uh, in the Peach Bowl, it was a great, great experience. For me and my college experience there was was phenomenal. Take me back to either 03 or 04. Which loss stung more? In 03 to Virginia Tech, kind of like that first loss, or maybe what happened against North Carolina the year after? You know, probably the, the Virginia Tech one. They both obviously are bad. I mean, they, you know, any loss is tough, but probably the first one just because we were right there. And, you know, we keep rolling. We got a chance to play in the big show, you know. So that was that was tough. That was a tough one. But obviously, the next season, play North Carolina, and just one of those things that it was meant to be for them that night, and it was it was a tough one for us. Better comeback. I'm sure the Gator one gets most of the votes, but you also had a good one the following year against Louisville. Yeah, you know, I I would say, and West Virginia is West Virginia is in yeah. there too. I mean, you you like I told you before that championship game in in high school, it must have been a precursor, <laughs> dude. This must have been how you're supposed to operate. <laughs> You know, the, I always say my favorite football game of my college career is that game against Florida. There were so many things out there, right? It was my first start in the Orange Bowl. It was against my former team. And it was just to come back, That you know, being down by that much, that game was just electric. I mean, you go from we're getting booed in the third quarter to the, the place is just shaking. I mean, I can still see the, the stadium shaking that evening as we go up. I mean, just that that experience that night. I mean, it was it was something that you'll remember forever. All right, Brock, I imagine everything you've been through as a cane, knowing the history of the program, knowing where the program's trying to go, knowing what's transpired over the last 15 to 20 years that you sympathize with the players that have come through here and what they're trying to accomplish, because there is a lot of pressure to attain that national status you discussed. You know, you're right. It's tough. Like we've talked about before, I mean, these are 18, 19 your old kids and they're trying to build the program back up to what it once was. And I think that coach Diaz is doing a great job of that. I think, you know, going from what we were at last year to where we are now, we've made a big step. And I think he's doing a wonderful job of that. I think that the players have bought in, you know, it's exciting. You've got a great QB at the helm now that's doing an excellent job. Imagine you'd like playing in Rhett Lashley's offense. Man, I would have loved playing his offense. You didn't have any RPO back in your time, did you? You were running RPO, were you? Man, that was before the RPOs. RPOs, I mean, that's a, it's a new deal. 
that's exciting to watch. And I can tell you, for these young quarterbacks and guys that get an opportunity to play in this type of offense and receivers, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great offense to play in. I need some good juice, some good inside scoop for us real quick as we finish this up, okay? Okay. Do you have a good Sean Taylor practice story? Just something where he just did something to, to blow you up? Yeah. Something where you're just like, man, that guy is unreal. Yeah, I can remember playing, you know, as a scout team quarterback. And I, I remember we had a play, you know, where we were going to throw a nine route. It's a go route down the sideline. And he's playing single high safety, right? And so, when I, you know, for the fans out there, single high, you got one safety back deep. You know, sometimes we'll play cover two or you have two safeties back. At this particular moment, we had one safety and we had a go route on the outside. And I was going to just look him off the other way, pump it, and drive the nine route down the sidelines. So I drop back and kind of pump him. And he takes a step in that direction, which at that point as a quarterback, you know you've got the safety. And I pump it and, and, and come throw down the sidelines and make a great throw. I mean, I'm, I'm right there on it. And, I mean, <laughs> as the receiver is touching the ball – Sean just blows it up. I mean, just absolute ball goes everywhere. I think we got pads flying everywhere. <laughs> you know, it makes one of these plays. You're just like, how in the world did this guy just do that? But, but that's who he was. I mean, the guy was, he was, when people ask me all the time about what, what player stands out to you, he was one of those guys that just absolutely stood out. And, you know, you're talking about a guy that's six, three and a half, 231 pounds. That's running a sub four, four. He was on another level. He was a special player. Uh, he was a great teammate. Uh, and obviously, we, we hate to see, you know, what happened with him. But his legacy that he left behind is, you know, is unbelievable. Is there a better game by a defensive player than what he did against Florida State in 2003? No. I mean, it's that guy. The things he's able to do, I mean, you, you know, you know, as a teammate, you see him do it every day on the practice field. <laughs> as you're on the sidelines you're like a spectator. You just can't wait to see the next thing that he does because he's not one that's just going to come in and hit you hard. He's going to go up and he'll pick you off. You know, he'll return a punt or whatever that guy was asked to do. It was unbelievable. He was that type of player that was just, he was pretty special. So speaking of special, are you in awe that Frank Gore is still playing in the NFL? Is he not the greatest ever or what? I love, love Frank Gore. I mean, he's a, um, as great of a player as he was even better teammate. And, you know, I was able to be with him during some tough times when he had, you know, messed his knees up and to watch him fight back and <laughs> still playing now. I mean, the guy is just Superman. And I, I'm, I'm honored that I got to play with Frank Gore. I mean, because he is just, he's something else. Down here, they say Frank Gore is, was one of the best to ever come through Dade County. So as a football player, when you watched him, just like Sean Taylor, how special was he? He was, man. He was special. And here's the great thing about it. You know, Frank did a lot of the scout team stuff with me that year because he was hurt and he was coming back. So we got to work together, throw it down here, you know, and, uh, and, and get better together to see the things that he would do on the practice field every day. And then to, obviously on the game field, everybody got to watch and see his career was, was pretty special. But the thing that people don't realize and know about Frank Gore, unless you played with him, was his work ethic. The guy would outwork everyone on that field every single day. I mean, he was competing every single play. You know, we'd have a break. He's, you know, he's wanting to figure out how to do this better. You know, he's in the weight room competing. If we're, you know, it doesn't matter what the guy was doing. His work ethic was on another level. And, and he made, he pushed me to be so much better and to work harder because 
he's encouraging. He's, Hey, come on, let's get better. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, and, and those are the things that people don't see with Frank Gore and people ask how in the world is this guy still playing? Well, if you went and watched him work in off season and you saw the things and the, and the amount of hard work that he put in, then you'd understand why he's still playing. And, 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 you know, he's just a, he's one of those special guys that don't come around very often. You mentioned Vince Wolford earlier. So was big daddy Vince also, I felt like he was a cool cat and a talented football player. Do I have that right? Uh, he was one of the coolest guys around, man. I mean, just funny, always telling jokes, just a, just a great, great teammate to have and, and to, you know, to be able to play with. And he was, he was, he was one of the cool guys in the locker room that you just enjoyed sitting around telling jokes and, and, and having a big time. But when he stepped on that field and he put his hand in the ground, he was going to manhandle some people. And that was always fun to watch Vince and then obviously go on and, and do the things he did in his NFL career. And he's another one that, you know, stands out that if you go out there and you walk on the practice field, you're going to say, oh, who's this guy? You know, if you don't know what you're looking at. And so Vince was a fun one to be around that uh, made some phenomenal plays. But he, like I said, he's an even better teammate. Who ran the locker room? Like, who'd everybody listen to back then? You know, it was, a, it was a mixture of guys. You know, Jonathan Bilma, let me tell you, from a leadership standpoint, he was that guy on defense that was the, the Mike linebacker, the, the leader of that defense. And when he talked, people listened. And I think that Jonathan just did an excellent job of always keeping guys together outside of the football field. And, and when we're doing things, Jonathan was a guy that was always trying to bring everybody to be together, to be a family. And, and he, he was, he was one of those guys when, when he spoke, people listened and he was a great, great leader that I learned a lot of great things from. Eric Winston, you must've known he was going to be the NFL PA president. Like he was smart back then, wasn't he? He was the president, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was, man. He's one of those guys. You just, he, he knew he was going to have some sort of political career when he decided he was going to be done playing football, but you talk about an animal. I mean, just from a physical standpoint, funny thing was he thought he was the next Jeremy Shockey. He came from Midland Lee and the long hair and he was about, I don't know, 270 or so. And he, he thought, oh, I'm the next Shockey. <laughs> and they let him play tight end for a year. And I remember after that uh, Fiesta Bowl, I think Coach Coker, he was basically starving himself to stay at 270. To be a tight end? Yeah. And, and Coach Coker told him after that game, he said, all right, you need to go start eating. You're going to be left tackle. And I think he gained 40 pounds in two weeks. And that was the beginning of what we know him to be as, you know, one of the best left tackles at Miami. How fun was it to watch Devin Hester just return kicks? He was unbelievable. The thing that I like to tell people about Devin is uh, I've never been around a guy that can be running full blast, which that's, you know, a 4-3 speed and can cut, make any kind of cut. You know, most guys, when they make a cut, they're going to, they got to slow down, right? I mean, you're going to tear your knees and ankles and everything, but he could go, and if you look at that first kickoff against Florida, you know, you know, when we played that game in the Orange Bowl in 2003, that was the beginning of it. You know, it was like, okay, now you get to see what we've been seeing on the practice field. You know, he's running 4-3 and boom, he's, he's cutting on a dime. And he had a special, special ability. And obviously, you know, we've seen what he went on to do at the next level and he's Hall of Famer. I mean, the guy is, is, was a special talent. And then the last couple, Antrell, was he fun? He was awesome. He was another guy like Vilma. You know, when he spoke, people listened. You know, he was a great leader. Obviously, his play on the field, big for itself. The guy had a special talent. He had his nose for the ball. He had a unique ability to just, when the ball's in the air, Antrell's there. He was the same type of guy that loved to understand the game um, spent a lot of time studying film and, and, and understanding football and he just had a really good football IQ 
an excellent teammate. Me and him uh, together, you know, that's my senior year. Um, where he was a defensive captain and I was offensive captain and we got to spend a lot of time together and, and boy, he was, he was a fun one to be around and he was a great player. Did you and DJ Williams ever talk about that recruiting class of, of 2000? You know, we talked to him about it. Um, he was USA Today defensive player of the year. I was offensive player of the year. So we got a USA Today paper with us both sitting there together. But I think we talked more about who would win, Evangel or De La Salle. And so the, the arguments always were not about who was the best player. It was about who would win in the game. And, and obviously, Evangel would beat De La Salle. So if you ever talk to DJ, make sure you tell him that too. Last question. I know what your answer is going to be, but we're going to finish with getting everybody pumped up. If you, Brock Berlin was granted one more game of eligibility and you got to strap it on one more time, the Swamp or the OB? No question, the OB. Girl, that place is so special. I can't tell you the tears I shed the day I saw that thing go down. That was a special place with so many memories. It's one of those things you're honored to have been a part to play at that field. And, I mean, you think about the tradition and the games that have been played in that stadium. Those bus rides pulling up to the OB, uh, they're priceless, man. I mean, just priceless. And, and, you know, that stadium, I know it was old and crickety. But when that place got going, man, you better watch out. It was something else. All right, my friend. I went a little bit longer than I said I would. No problem, man. No problem. I enjoy talking about it. It's fun. Fun to go down memory lane and talk about it, man. You made a good choice finishing with, with the U on the side of your helmet and wearing the orange and green. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And go Kings.